My name is Andy Vanderveer. I'm over students and Ben Marshall. Uh, the real guy is marrying his uh, son off today. So, uh, yeah. Happy Mother's Day to you all. Uh, mothers, thank you for being here. We are so honored to have you here. And, man, where would we be without you? Literally nowhere, right? Uh, thank you. We love you. Turn to Luke chapter 5. If I were to ask you, what is God's mission? How would you answer that question? What is God's mission? And if you read your Bible much, you might say something along the lines of loving God, loving others with the love of Jesus. You might say something about making disciples of all nations or every tribe, tongue, and nation around the throne or something about the whole earth being filled with his glory. If you have some sort of combination of Christ exalted and glory and nations, you're in the right ballpark. Now, uh, if I were to ask you, what is your mission? What is the mission of your life? Not what would you say is the mission of your life, but what would someone else say? Just looking at all the observable data of your life, what would they say is your mission? If you read all of the observable data of God's mission, and then put that alongside all the observable data of your life, is there a difference between God's mission and your mission? And if there is a difference, why is that? Have we bought into some lie? Have we bought into the lie that there is some great pleasure in living the fulfilled American dream? Have we bought into that there's going to be great pleasure in being able to retire comfortably or raise our kids to be responsible human beings who stay out of jail or whatever? What is, what is it that you have been consumed with? If I do this and I check it off, I can die happy and feel like I have accomplished the mission. If there's a big difference between that and God's mission, why is that? And I think I have a theory that for most of us, when they don't line up, it has to do with fear. And some might say it has nothing to do with fear, but I think maybe you're not there yet. I think maybe the first step, you might not have your mission lined up with God's, and that might be because of ignorance. You don't know what God's mission is, or you don't know what's required of you, or how you can be wrapped up in God's mission. You don't know yet, but once you're confronted with exactly what he's doing and exactly what he expects of you, it might be a little terrifying, and that fear might be what keeps you from being a part of God's mission. And I want us to look at in Luke chapter 5, verse 8. 8 through 11, that is. 
God is going to give this pretty surprising command. And this command is followed by a promise. Aren't those the best kind? (laughs) And isn't our God good that he commands us and gives us a promise to go along with it? Ah, Okay, so let's start in Luke chapter 5 verse 8. What has just happened is Peter and James and John were fishing all night in this one spot, caught nothing. And then Jesus gets into Peter's boat and he says, hey, Peter, I want you to throw your net back out right there. Like right where we've been fishing all night and caught nothing. Yeah, right there. (laughs) What I love about this is that word, uh, the word but in the middle of that. There's a contrast word. It's like this fulcrum and on this, these two opposites and it shifts. It starts with Peter responding to Jesus and saying, Jesus, we've been fishing here all night, and what you have over here saying one thing is all the pile of data, of experience, of training, of knowledge, of logic, of common sense, all saying, don't throw your net out right there again, that's a waste of time, you've already tried that, but... At your word, God, what do you have over here that trumps all the rest? Is the word of God, even when uh, counterintuitive or even illogical. And Peter chooses to trust God in that moment. And he says, Lord, we've been fishing here all night. But at your word, I will throw out the net. And I love, like, it could have read what happens next. Could have said... And they still caught nothing for three hours, and Jesus saith to him, just wanted to see if you'd do it. <laughs> he could have, and he'd have been right to do that. But he doesn't. They have this miraculous, huge catch of fish that's overflowing and about to sink two boats. And so what happened here is Peter got just a little glimpse of the glory of God. The power and the glory and the majesty and the awesomeness of God in the person of Jesus in this miracle. He saw the glory of God through Jesus. And how did Peter respond to that? Did he say, man, Jesus, you're awesome. Let me follow you forever and just snuggle up tight. No, he doesn't. Look at how he responds in Luke chapter 5, verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, this huge catch of fish, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. So notice those words. He fell, he said, Depart, and he called himself a sinful man. That's humility. And then that's distance when he says, Get away. Why? Because of an awareness that he is a sinful man, an unholy man, in the presence of a holy God. And this created in him fear when he sees the differential between him and God in the flesh right there. So it created this fear in him. In verse 9 it says, For, here's why he was afraid, for, here's why he said, Depart from me, get away from me, God. Here's why. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. 
And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. So notice that word astonished. It can also be translated amazed or awestruck in awe. And it's not just sort of this, I'm startled by something physically, but it has to do with the emotion and the, the actually the intellectual process behind what's going on on the surface that you see something that blows your mind and then to try to process what's going on under the surface freaks you out. This is that word for astonished here. They were, he was astonished. He just saw a miracle that made him aware this is the power of God. Either this is God himself or this is a messenger from God. And it freaked him out. He was astonished. And it made him fall down and say, depart from me. Not press in and get closer. It made him push away. And I'm sympathetic to that notion because, for one thing, through most of the Bible, if you as a human come face to face with God, you're not going to make it out. So he's terrified, falls down, depart from me. You're God. I'm not, and I don't want to die. So depart from me. For an unholy man in the presence of a holy God, there's three options. There's either destruction, that he stays or presses in, like a moth flying into the sun, just totally obliterated by pure goodness of God. Or there can be distance, because he says, he's holy, I'm not, I'm just going to go away and stay at a safe distance away. Or the third option is that holy God changes unholy man. <coughs> Just imagine if a cat wanders into a pack of dogs and thinks, oh, no, I need to get out of here. With never even considering the possibility that maybe he could be changed to become a dog, which would be better by far. Amen? But, uh, and guys, we're the same when we're confronted with how holy and awesome God is, and we're, when we're aware of our own sinfulness. Like, what is it that you're struggling with right now? What is the strange relationship? What is the sin struggle or the intellectual or theological struggle that thing in your heart that you can't quite get to turn over when you're struggling with that do you ever find the repeated defeat lead you to distance from God and think I've tried that enough times I'm just going to not bring it up and maybe he won't either and just settle for distance, for at least apathy. Because it's pretty scary to approach God for the 200th time for the same thing that you know that you should be obeying. So we can be tempted to say, depart. I had a friend one time 
that I asked him how he and the Lord are doing. And it's funny, but also tragic that he says, we have a deal that I just try to stay out of his way and he'll stay out of mine. Sometimes that distance is, we buy the lie that that's preferable than pressing in to a holy God. So we give in to fear. We give in to distance. So the question is, how does Jesus respond to someone who's aware of their own sinfulness and is afraid? How does Jesus respond to someone who's afraid? Who's saying, depart from me. How does he respond? Look in the middle of verse 10. Jesus' response. After Peter said, depart from me, Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. That literally in the Greek is fear not. It's the verb fear with this negative word may at the end of it. Fear not. It's an imperative command. He's telling him, fear not. Do not fear. And Jesus says this a lot. And it's usually in the context of somebody sees him for who he really is. And then they get freaked out and start to withdraw, and he doesn't want that. So he says, don't be afraid. It happened whenever they saw him walking on the water. And he said, fear not, it is I. And it happened on the mountain of transfiguration, when he, in in essence, peeled back his humanity, and they saw a glimpse of his full glory, and it freaked him out, and he said, fear not. And it happened in Revelation chapter 1 with John whenever he sees the Lord with his long robe, golden sash, hair and beard white as wool, eyes flaming, sword coming out of his mouth, his voice like rushing waters. John fell down as though dead. And the Lord said to him, Fear not. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Whenever we're afraid and withdraw, Jesus is not okay with that. He commands, Fear not. And I love how... (laughs) Jesus could have said different things here. And it would have not be as as good of news as this command is. This is good news. And he, think about what Jesus could have said. He could have said, Man, Peter, I wish you were not so afraid. Or he could have said, Ah, oh, Peter, oh, just try, try. Try to not be so afraid. Fear not is not a goal to be aspired to. Fear not is a command to be obeyed. He's not okay with us staying in fear. Fear not. And if Jesus gives this command, fear not, here's the good news. It means that we are not powerless against our fear. We don't have to be bullied around by 
our fear and just say, well, fear happened to me. I'm afraid. I'm stuck in it. If Jesus commands, fear not, because he's offering the power for us to get out of it. Fear not. Jesus is not okay with us being afraid. Now there are some passages that talk about what we're supposed to be afraid of, namely God. Fear in general, this is not saying don't fear ever at all. This is specifically in light of fear that leads to distance from the Lord. And if you're afraid of something that's causing distance from the Lord, He commands, fear not. Don't stay there and wallow in that like you're powerless. Fear not. That means you have a choice to take Him at His word and believe in the power that comes with the promise. Fear not. That command is good news. And what reason does Jesus give Peter for why he should not be afraid? And this is interesting. The, the, the logic is not super linear here. Because I would think if, if he sees a holy God and is afraid and is saying depart, I would expect it'd be a little more intuitive for Jesus to say something like, don't be afraid, you're not going to die. Or don't be afraid, your sin's not that bad. Like those would seem like more direct connections to what he's saying, but he doesn't say that. He says, don't be afraid, and here's the reason why. From now on, you will be catching men. Don't be afraid. Why not? Because I'm about to change you. From now on. I love that little phrase, from now on. It's a phrase filled with so much hope. It indicates you're on the brink of a massive shift of paradigm. You're on the brink of a change where you will never be the same again. When he says, from now on, and the one who says this to you has the power to make it so. From now on. And that phrase is one that Luke uses often. I'll share just a couple with you. In Luke 148, this is Mary after she's told she's going to bear the Son of God. And she says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Talk about a big monumental shift in her existence. A big monumental shift in her purpose on earth. And in Luke 22, 67, when Jesus was arrested and on trial, they said, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of of God. Talk about a shift. By the way, that 
son of man, put a little note, Daniel 7, and go read that later. This is Jesus claiming, I'm that guy. I'm God come in the form of man. And he's saying, from now on, he's on, he's on trial. He's saying, look, right now, weak human flesh. I'm about to suffer, die, be buried, be raised, and exalted to the right hand of the Father. From weak man to exalted Christ. Talk about a monumental shift of your existence. From now on, everything changes. This is the good news for Peter. Don't be afraid. From now on, everything changes for you. I'm about to give you a whole new purpose for your existence. From now on, you will be catching men. And that's not the Greek word of male, it's of humankind. From now on, you will be catching humans. I love that it says, will be catching. This is a future verb, which it's not past or present. It's not saying you are or you have been catching. It's acknowledging where you have been and where you are right now isn't okay. But you don't have to stay there. You will be catching men from now on. And he also doesn't say you might be catching men. <laughs> you will be. There's a the promise of success here. Wow. That one's, that one's pretty hard for me to believe. Uh, whenever I um, make a few and far between feeble attempts at evangelism and then get embarrassed... And do you see what I just did there? Pile of data, word of God. Which one am I going to trust? He says, you will be catching men. It's a promise. How is this change going to occur? Luke doesn't tell us. He just said, Jesus just says, don't fear you will be. The will be, this just says, this is your future state without commenting on exactly what gets you from here to there. But Matthew 4.19 tells us, the way Matthew records it, Jesus says to him, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. From now on, everything changes. How? How can that happen? Scared feeble, weak me into what you're saying, I will make you. Jesus promises to make them what he's demanding of them. And he promises to make you what he's demanding of you. Now, I will make you fishers of men. Or as Luke says it, you will be catching men. 
Why this fishing metaphor? Is it because fishing is the holiest of hobbies, Garrett? (laughs) Now, it's an amazing metaphor that it's actually a little bit of a backwards metaphor for what Jesus is all about. Because when you fish, you catch something alive and it's about to die at your hands. And when Jesus goes fishing and sends us to go fishing, we catch men who are dead and bring them to the one who gives life. Isn't that cool? And uh, I think it's helpful to just to make sure we don't have like going out to Stephen Lear's pond fishing in our mind where it's like one string, one fish at a time, chilling, uh, super relaxing and awesome, I hear. But this is like, they've got these huge nets that they're throwing out. This is very active, aggressive, laborious, fruitful work. So yeah, that's another part of like, what a cool metaphor with so many... It's saying so much, but also, why the fishing metaphor? It also just so happened to be what Peter did for a living. It just happened to be what he was doing when Jesus met him. And he said, oh, you're a fisherman. Ah, Now you're going to be a fisherman. And I, I think he would say to a mechanic, ah, now you're going to be repairing souls or the doctor. Like now... You're curing hearts, okay? Like, or not, yeah. Uh, or to cook, from now on, you're cooking, no, you're not cooking humans, you're cooking for, you're cooking for God, which is kind of the point of like, whatever you're doing, you're doing it for God now, no longer for yourself or for your bank account. It's, it happened to be what he did for a living, so Jesus said, I want you to take what I've already given you, and retool and recalibrate the whole thing so it has a brand new purpose and focus, and it's me. And I love how, and, and it wasn't like Jesus, he wasn't like surprised by what they were doing and go, hmm, that's okay, yeah, we can work with that. Like, I love, God seems to delight in giving us all the raw materials in the first place, and then like we take like a puzzle with all these pieces we don't know how they fit with our gifts and our experiences and our opportunities and we get I don't know some hot glue just like like this big hot mess and go this is my mission and then he loves to come along later and just straighten it all out and say let me show you and redeem the whole thing and make it beautiful and repurpose all that we think we're supposed to be about he says you're going to be fishers of men you will be catching Men. Just just imagine. What if your career, what if the primary goal was no longer to provide for your family? What if you trusted somebody who's better at providing for your family than you are? And your primary goal in whatever your job is whatever your passions are, that your primary goal is now, how do I help more people see Jesus, hear about Jesus, come to Jesus, surrender to Jesus, give him praise forever because he deserves it? What, what, if, what would it be like if our whole life 
was retooled around that singular mission and focus. How different would our lives look if we stopped caring about the things that we thought we were supposed to accomplish and just trusted Him for all that? Mothers, for a lot of people, Mother's Day is very unsatisfying. And maybe because you're either a child or a mother on either side of a really strained or broken relationship, or maybe there's loss associated with this, or maybe you've been trying to be a mother, and for whatever reason, this is not a satisfying day. Motherhood is not satisfying. And for some of you, it's possible to be a really great mother and for it to not be satisfying. If if your calling and your whole mission is to be the best mother you can be, and to shower my children with love and affection for them to know how loved they are, even to make them know how how much God loves them, if the primary focus of motherhood is a human relationship, it's not going to be satisfying. It's missing the point. What if you're an amazing mother and God gave you those gifts, those puzzle pieces, so that he could come and tweak it and say, okay, now what would it look like? What if, fear not, from now on, you will be a mother to many Maybe not even physically, maybe spiritually. See, I, I think sometimes we overemphasize from a good place in our heart, motherhood and fatherhood. Almost like we think there's this class of fathers and God happens to fit into this pre-existing class of father. God is a father, so now we know what a father looks like. No, 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 like God created fatherhood and motherhood. God thought, how can I how can I let them know how much I love them? How can I display who I am in all my glory and all my love? I'll give them two parallel expressions of who I am, father and mother. And the whole purpose is for you to know how much he loves you. And for everyone else around you to know how much he loves you. And that you, mother and father and parent, for him, for his glory. What if being a mother and a father was intricately wrapped up in the mission of God? says depart and Jesus says no I'd rather change you (laughs) isn't that good Peter says I know that we are different so get away from me no I'd rather change you 
I'd rather change you so that you can be a part of what I'm doing. Why? Okay, why? Think about that for a minute. What's the motivation for the Lord to say, no, I want to change you? Is it because he loves Peter so much? Yes. Yes. If he did it all for one, it's worth it in his eyes. However, he loves Peter and did it for Peter. And he feels the exact same way for about eight billion others. And so he loves Peter and wants to transform him so that he can be a part of going and getting the rest, some from every tribe, nation, and tongue. He wants to change him because he loves him and because he has a purpose for him to get glory from all nations whom he loves. And it worked. Jesus, what Jesus said to Peter, assuaged his fear. And Peter was on board. You know how I know that? Look at verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. And I love this because Jesus didn't say, follow me. Here, he didn't. He said, fear not, and you will be catching men. And what Peter heard in that was, wait, you're, you're not going to destroy me? You, you have a purpose for me? And you're going to change me so that I can be a part of what you're a part of? And in light of that revelation, everything else that he had paled in comparative value to following Christ. So it was the most natural thing in the world for him to just say, leave everything and follow. He heard Jesus, and you see, he believed. He obeyed. He decided not to fear anymore and believe in the promise and follow. This was the beginning of Peter's from now on. Has your from now on begun yet? Is there an observable difference between your mission before following Christ and now your mission as a follower of Christ? And maybe what I'm asking, do you believe in Jesus, but you're not following him? 
Maybe he doesn't want you to leave everything. Maybe he wants you to leave something. If, if your from now on hasn't begun, why is that? What are you afraid of? He gave you a command. And he gave you a promise to go with it. If you're willing to take him at his word and no longer fear and follow, he's going to make you a fisher of men. He's going to change in you whatever needs to be changed. And the one who promised it has the power to do it. Are we going to believe it? You and the Lord know what you're afraid of and what He's put on your mind right now that you're wrestling with letting go of. You're wrestling with how to follow Jesus. So I want you to see Jesus, looking into your eyes, and I want you to hear him say, Fear not. From now on, you will be blank. What's he telling you? And are you going to believe it? We're going to take communion now, and you can use this time as you're praying and talking to the Lord. Maybe you need to believe Him, and maybe this is the beginning of your from now on.